0: I never stressed about music at all. It was always second nature to me. I'd always just made it and it always just seemed to be fine. All of a sudden, it changed in an instant. But as soon as Noisy posted that thing, music became something different to me. And I think probably the easiest way for me to explain from where I am, where I was then to now, is that I think that this process has just been me trying to find my way back to what music was to me initially.
1: Hello and welcome to Hot Girls with me, Lex on the decks. This is the podcast that explores the creative process and also the mechanics of the music industry to understand how you have success in it and ultimately address the gender imbalance that currently exists within it. This week, fresh off the back of his colour show and his appearance on Charlie Sloth's Fire in the Booth, I'm joined by Jelani Blackman. Jelani's journey through music has been so interesting. I found this conversation really fascinating and really insightful. We talk a lot and he kind of demonstrates through his own career the importance of timing, the importance of things blowing up at the right time for you. Um, We also talk a lot about relationship with a producer and how fundamental that can be on an artist, like getting to the right sound, getting to something that feels right for them. Jelani's got a load of new music on the way so definitely if you enjoy this conversation check him out on socials and definitely watch his colour show it's super high energy um I recommend okay let's go
0: ladies listen up you're listening to Hot Girls with Lex on the deck. we in the mix it's fire we going we on fire
1: from London for the world Let's go in. We good? Yeah, we're good. We're good. I wanted to ask about colours, because you did that recently.
0: I did do that recently.
1: And how was that? It
0: was really, really good. Like it was sick. I loved it. It's something that I've wanted to do for a while. And I feel like it just it just came at the right time really because everything else is moving in the right direction. It kind of was sparked off from a moment in lockdown. Yeah, it was sick. I miss performing as well, so I just, I was just like...
1: Yeah, yeah do do? it was quite performance your energy on it. The important questions. Do you get to pick your colour? No. No.
0: They obviously know what they're looking for, so they're like, yeah, yeah, suggest, but
1: like, <laughs> we'll do the thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 red, we uh, hear you. This is it, it's green. <laughs> right. And you decided, so you didn't try and like co-ord your outfit, because some people, their outfit literally matches their background.
0: Like, I had a colour on my outfit that I felt would match... The track and the vibe of the tune, but what they chose, I feel like, was better. So, again, it was clearly just them knowing, <laughs> knowing <laughs> more for longer. So, they know what they're talking about. They're like, they know
1: yeah, what they're, they're doing.
0: Yeah, cool. We'll, we'll... Oh, I'm, like, I'm like, just secretly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <No way." laughs> Do you get multiple takes?
0: Yeah, as many as you want, but that was actually my first take. Hey,
1: professional. Yeah.
0: It's funny enough, the, the actual Hello tune is the first take that I did. It's just all one take. I, I feel like that's just the energy of the tune. Like, it just yeah,
1: doesn't... it's quite like, um, I guess, almost conversational. Yeah. In that. So we're going to go start of life. OK. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing I wanted to ask you was where you grew up, because I thought Brixton. Yeah. But then I read in an interview West London. So I was like, "Oh, is he south?
0: Is he west?" It's both. Uh, it's the sure answer. I spent the first two years of my life in Brixton. For me, I know it sounds weird, but actually, were quite formative because there was something that was a part of my life during that time that, when I left Brixton, I never had again. So, for me, like those first two years were really significant in the relationship I had with my biological dad and the area that he came he came from, and my kind of connection to. That side of me and that part of my life, so I still feel really strongly attached to Brixton. And, and whenever I went, I don't know—obviously, well, psychological—but I always felt very emotional whenever I was there because it had this inherent meaning to me. So even though it was a short amount of time, it, it was it's really significant. And then the rest rest of my life, I was in—I've been in Lubber Grove Westbourne Park. I feel very split. Whenever I'm in South, I'm always like, ah, oh, like this feels like home. And then there are moments when I'm in West, and I'm like, oh, oh I have a soft spot for it because. Okay. Right.
1: Yeah. yeah but now you you left both. I've left both. I actually <laughs>
0: to be fair I I left as quickly as I could. I left West London as quickly as I could cuz it's tiny. You kind of you've done all of your you exploring by the time you get to being a teenager. Mm. So I left. I went to college in North London and then I moved to East London. So I've been in what London I'm just, in the real sense of the word of the word like London is my home. I feel like a Londoner.
1: Yeah. I grew up in Devon have you ever been to Devon?
0: <laughs> I have been to Devon.
1: I so <laughs> West London probably has the population of three times Devon. That's wow. not a fact people but uh, a <laughs> rumour. <wasn't> <laughs> so when did you start making music?
0: I guess obviously there's like a distinction between making and playing. Yeah.
1: Start with casual, like not when you're working, like not professional at all. Just
0: yeah, yeah. No, well, I mean casually. I would have the first experience I would have had making music was just like writing bars with friends in, in the park, just because it was like grime era. That was the the music of the time. It was around like Boy in the Corner. Mm. Uh, it was just very like that was it. That was that was the sound. So that's the first time I ever wrote lyrics or anything like that. But I'd already been playing sax. I played sax since I was like nine. Okay. Uh, and. Yeah, I, I always thought it was because I was just really cool and I was just cool when I was nine. But my mom told me recently that it's because I like Lisa Simpson, so, <laughs> which I guess is not like not cool, but like that was. I, I just I was sick. I was like, "What you decided to play sax when you were nine, But that's not. What happened.
1: <laughs> she was really good as well.
0: Was <laughs> it? She's a lot better than I was.
1: How far I, did you go on the sax? Like, were you taking grades?
0: Yeah, I still play up to grade eight.
1: Hey. Yeah,
0: um, I play live when I decide I want to. <laughs> yeah.
1: So when you first started writing bars, they were like grind bars. What What was the lyrical content like?
0: <laughs> <laughs> what was <did you> <laughs> the lyrical content I was writing when I was 11, 12? Oh, my God. I can't even quote it. There's bars I can remember, but you don't, you don't want to know. Just... <laughs> It wasn't, very what's the words? Elegance on the right event. They weren't good.
1: They weren't like, good. They,
0: <laughs> they were good for what they were, but they weren't good. They weren't insightful. There was a lot of girls talk, from what I remember. Girls talk and, yeah, girls talk.
1: Mainly girls talk. But 11 and 12, it was probably just like, girls chasing me or whatever. I don't know, what, what the perception of a 11, 12-year-old.
0: Yeah, I'm a bad MC. Girls always chasing me. Always like that. <laughs> Yeah.
1: And then how did you go from there to getting to a place where you wanted to start actually recording things?
0: Again, it was quite casual. One of my friends was a producer, one of the best producers I've ever actually known. I've been really lucky in my life and career, I guess, that I've always been around really talented people. And so I didn't take it for granted, but like, it was never like a decision. He just had the equipment to record stuff. It was still super basic, like computer mics and stuff. But that's what we did like for fun. That's how, that's what we wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Amongst other things, probably the most constructive.
1: That productive. was the good thing. That's that was nice though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of a London thing as well. Like, it's such a creative city that people seem to do creative things in their spare time. So you started, you say like it was quite an organic process and you were just working with your friends and then you decided to put your first EP out. And then was there like a point where you started taking it seriously or was it still just kind of like, yeah, we'll just keep making stuff and see what happens?
0: No, nah, my, my musical history is so long. So I'm going to breeze over like a section of it, but it kind of went from me just doing it like organically, just because I was chilling with my friends from when I was like 11 to 15, 16, mm. going to college and kind of broadening my horizons musically, really. like I became really good friends with this guy who was a guitarist, but he was like an indie guitarist. And then this other singer who uh, was like an R and B pop singer. You might know uh, her name's Rena Sawayama. Then this other guy. We just and we made a band. But it was a really uh, interesting experience. I loved it. I say interesting, like it wasn't fun. It was sick. But that was my first kind of dip in my toe into music and and yet as a as an industry. Then I went to uni and uh, and Leeds Leeds took over my life.
1: You went to Leeds.
0: <laughs> yeah, Leeds Leeds Leeds. Oh. Okay, okay. Yeah, it took over. All I really cared about, like, just the uni experience. Like, I still was making music, but it took a massive backseat. But funnily enough, I met the people that I then went on to make music with now. But at the time, it was, it definitely, I didn't have the same kind of focus or, I wasn't really thinking about it as a career. I just, it's because I'd always done it as reflex. so I just carried on doing it as reflex. but I wasn't putting, like, lots of time in. I wasn't really pushing myself until towards the end. And then yeah, and then towards the end of these, I met two producers. One's called Jacob Manson. One's called Fred Gibson. Both of them incredibly talented. Both of them were always going to be in the music industry professionally, like they are. Jake was was part of a, a group called Blonde, so that was what he did. So, but he was a producer. But he went into like the kind of and the artist role as a thing. And then and then Fred continued as a producer, and he has gone on to do lots of stuff. He produced all of Ed Sheeran's last album for like like pretty much in lots of lots of ways. So they both were just doing bits. Yeah. Um, I met both of them at Leeds. And over the last however many years, like kind of dipping in and out, I started the process with Fred, carried it on with this guy called Tom, and now I'm back with with Jake, which is amazing. Like it's so nice to be with someone that like I have yeah. that history. And we've seen each other's musical journeys, and it kind of just clicked at a really important time for me when I, yes. I really needed music to click. And yeah, we just we got in, and everything just started to run. Given the overview, so when we get into stuff, like you know why I am I'm like different back and forth.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, the overview is good. It's good. It's like giving me a sense. So, so then you actually started making music properly. Yeah. And then what was the process of actually putting your first EP out? Five Eight was your first EP. One to four, one to four. Okay,
0: yeah. There, yeah.
1: very good. How did you have four tracks?
0: Yeah. Oh, it's <laughs> genius. No, you know what it was? Uh, it's because at the time I made a track with Fred, which was just it was a tune I really liked it, and there was no like idea about mm-hmm. follow up. It really wasn't done in a professional sense to be honest it was still very organic like we did all of the things that needed to be done but there was no like overarching plan or like we do this and we do that it literally we had the tune I played it to one of my friends in the room with someone that worked for noisy at the time and he was like oh in fact it didn't even work for noisy he was like oh my friend works for noisy like I could probably get this on a on the page for you this is when blogs were still like a thing
1: was this when noisy was first making all of those videos so they did like but they made loads of documentaries, like the Snoop Lion one, and yeah,
0: yeah, noisy was a was a thing. Like it was that era of of blogs and and SoundCloud. Like it was it was then, and uh and literally what that happened was, I said, yeah, I right, cool, that sounds good. Didn't have anyone to do PR. I like, didn't really know what PR or press was or anything like that. I was like, cool, just say the tune, gave it to them, and uh, they did an article on it, and it just blew up. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> And then everything just snowballed and what I realised really quickly was I didn't like as much as I love the tune, I didn't actually want that to be my sound. It was a yeah. bit of a weird realisation because I had this song that I really liked and it was cool, but it was quite neo-soul it, 23. It was true, like, kind of people were like, oh, it's, it's like Frank Ocean and all of this stuff. And I was like, it's has got all, like, all great things, but like it wasn't really what I wanted because I really felt like there was there was more. I was just, I was experimenting, yeah. which is how One to Four came about. Because I was like, okay, cool. Well, these are just the first four songs that I'm going to release. There was no like EP ideology or thinking behind it. It was literally, yeah. I want to put together a body of work. Four songs that I really like. And that's, and that's where that first EP came from.
1: And those are the four. And it's weird four. that thing, isn't it? Of, of people wanting to say what you're like to describe yeah. you. But then it was yeah. a bit boxed in. Definitely. Stage.
0: As much as I'd love to sing like Frank Ocean, I, def- <laughs> I definitely don't. I felt like that was too hard too high of a part to set for me to like they'd be like, all right, cool. Like I'm gonna make like an R B thing because that's just yeah, it's not. It's
1: right. true. I always get really confused when people like describe artists that they're working with or representing when they're like, he's, he's sort of like a Kendrick kind of I'm like, don't do that to them. <laughs> <That's->
0: <laughs> but it's funny, that's uh it's a it's a really UK thing, I think, to it happens in other places but because the industry is smaller what you find is there's a lot less development time so if you have a tune that that does really well people just latch on and you get all of these things that you probably don't want or need yet in terms of your process and the, the musicality of what you're doing some people are like just like that straight away because they have that kind of i guess lane that they knew they wanted to fit in I think lots of people, and you find it with a lot of like artists that develop over time and get better, like Kendrick as an example, is they have this incubation period before they blow and they get to do it because America's so much bigger that like it starts off bubbling in their town, in their city, then their state. And by the time it goes nationwide, they're pretty established and confident in their sound. Yeah. Whereas you're in the UK and you're from London, like do one tune and everyone's like, ah oh, mad. And then you have to just, you're playing catch up for the rest of the time. You see it happen all the time with artists, like they, they'll put out a tune, it'll blow. And then the next two, three tracks, like it kind of feels like they're either doing this a little bit. Yeah. And then sometimes, luckily, if they, if they work it out quick enough, they do that again. But like rarely do you find, pop artists obviously are different. But yeah, with, with a lot of independent, kind of more left-leaning UK artists, it's tricky when your no track blows. Yeah. <laughs>
1: But then this is funny because I th- I would think that you're you're lucky if your track blows because I feel like in today's climate there's so much noise. It's like yeah. one of the hardest things is actually cutting through the noise. So yeah. if you're starting to get a bit of people talking about you, then I would think that's only a good thing, but I hear your point about um
0: Yeah. No, it it, it definitely is. It's just all about timing. Yeah. You, you want people to, to, to clock on when you're right at your like like the peak of where you them to hear you yeah
1: so then you can go like bam just like lay down that's nothing
0: (laughs) exactly that's 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 exactly what you want
1: when did you get signed like what was that process like
0: that's also what was mad. like I literally got signed based off that one track uh which yeah so then I just got thrown straight in and and again this is something that happens to people like it sounds great and uh and if you're working independently as an artist you want that support, you want the, the back end of being like, okay, cool, let's take it to another level. There are loads of things that are kind of presented to you that seem like they're gonna be beneficial. And then you find yourself in a deal and you're like, oh how? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I might the first label I sent he was actually in LA. They heard the track. This that's how that's how like much it, it went that People heard about it in LA. Yeah. Like he's he's obviously something worth picking up on.
1: Yeah. That must have been weird because I guess that's people having worked creatively with people that you knew really well and then all of a sudden you've got people coming into the picture who you don't really know and you don't necessarily know what they're about.
0: Yeah. Do you mean the guys in LA? Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean... I think they came over. I'm pretty sure I met them before we like locked anything in. And then I went out to LA for a bit, Which should have been cool, but I actually hated to hate I
1: was gonna say. Were you like, yeah, making it, living the gym?
0: Yeah. I, initially I was like, But <laughs> well, I had some cool experiences, definitely, but like I didn't I didn't really like the vibe of LA, to be honest.
1: Mm. It,
0: it wasn't for me. And I think if I went now. Because of the space that I'm in musically, I think I would just be like, boom, 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 right, cool. But at the time, I was still very much in, like, the just the numbers phase of my writing. So, like, there were really disparate songs that I was coming out with, and some of them were cool, but they sounded completely different to the thing I would make the next day. And that process actually went on for, like, four years, maybe. I had enough of them that enough of them were good. good, But, like, they, uh, but really, it was just a, A process of okay, just make music and see what happens, and see what you like, and see how you feel, which is super (laughs) indulgent of me. So indulgent, (laughs) it's so indulgent, and I did it for for, I did it for four solid years. I just like there was one point when I was sessioning nearly every day with a different producer, and this was four like four days a week, like it was a proper job. This is my first signed to Virgin. So after so after so halfway through my deal with the LA label, things were still like kinda of running, but like this other uh, imprint on Virgin were like, Oh, we're interested in kinda of picking this up. But because the LA label didn't wanna let me go.
1: Picking him <laughs> up. <laughs> sure. Yeah.
0: Pick, Pick me up if you want. I'm in LA, I'm um, just making yeah. music.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah, they were just like, Oh, uh, halfway through my deal so so it was then got all like, complicated and the thing about deals as well is that they just they're horrible for momentum like they'll just they can just slow down anything that you're doing like and like, that's what happened initially is that this song started doing well and then I got involved in this label thing and like it was then like four months before anything was followed up with and it was all a little bit yeah it's uh, there's, the industry is tricky there's lots of lots of things to navigate but the the main thing is that during that period of time, when I first signed to AMF, I was, I was firstly between two labels and two countries and also still wasn't really, like, settled on what I wanted out of music, who I wanted to be, like, what I wanted to say. I was just making it. So that's the 5-8 EP, which for me feels a little bit like the Lost EP. Not many people know that. Like, <laughs> and there are some things I know that I love, but, like, I've got a track on there that's called Try, which is pretty much a ballad and then I've got another track on there called follow which literally sounds like I made it in a dungeon and uh, it's mad I mean and I like the contrast but it's that was very much like who I was at the time well, I
1: was running I was like was he a little bit heartbroken when he was writing this there's some moves like some feels going on <laughs>
0: yeah. always always feels <laughs> always but but yeah so so that's kind of where I think five to eight is where I Consolidated that ended that process. Even like I, I knew that at the end of that EP, I was done with doing just songs and just kind of like I was like, I, I want to have a sound like, like I want to, I want to have an identity. Mm-hmm. I want like someone to listen to a tune and be like, okay, cool, that sounds like Jelani. Like yeah. and and then I did that with follow following the EP. It's called Lockjaw, um, which to me was yeah, it was it was almost like a come in age a little bit in terms of my sound and yeah not necessarily lyrically and I think that that's it, it was interesting I, I went sonic I went sonically and then I went lyrically I did sonically I, I did Lockjaw Lockjaw I felt like sounds like me like all the way through is consistent it's still got lots of different vibes going on but it sounds like me and then I did Average Joe the following year
1: I feel like your sound is very unique it's not like I wouldn't really know, like, how to, like, how would you describe your sound? Would you be able to? I
0: don't know. I can, but, like, I, I would, if I if I could avoid that, I would. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but I, I don't think, like, many artists love, like to describe their sound too much. Like, some do. I mean, like, if you're a drill artist, they're going to be like, yeah, I'm a drill. Or, like, if you're a pop singer or an hour briefing. But I feel like if you're a rapper, especially nowadays, I was working as well for a period of time when being a rapper and a singer weren't as easily accepted as the same thing like you had to say one or the other they rapper like people wouldn't be surprised if you sung on the tune like if something like but I feel like when I first had to start making distinc- distinctions and I, you know, I, fucking, <laughs> I last year at the end of last year I had the proper moment because they put me on the cover of Rap UK on the Spotify playlist. And I was like, "Fuck!" Yeah. So I thought like, you don't have to call me a singer anymore. Fucking hell! Like I went for like three years with being um, i will be like, "So are you a singer? Are you a rapper? Like, Doesn't matter." <laughs> the music was was why why are you so interested in which one I am? But yeah, but now now I just say rapper. Yeah, and uh, I sing, then I sing, but it's uh, I feel like it all fits in. The so same people
1: way. are like, "Oh, who's sung on this?" And you are like,
0: <laughs> <"This> "Yeah." <guy." laughs> It is. Well, watch, I don't even know. Watch when I whip out the sex. You
1: know? <laughs> yeah. That would be quite a lot for the your process. breath. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, as a performer, it might be quite quite a challenge, but if you're up for yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're doing all this recording, what's the label paying your studio time?
0: Do you know what? From the time that I made music as a 12-year-old with my friends... So now I've never paid for an hour of Studio Zone.
1: Oh, oh my man. God.
0: I know, it's insane. But like I just, I again, I feel like I've just been lucky because I've been, because it was always organic and it was never like, oh, let's get into like a session to like record stuff. It was always just me chilling with friends or like, I don't know, it just, it just felt very natural. It wasn't like a, okay, cool, you're going to come in and pay X now Studio, Studio's so expensive. Yeah. They put yeah. me in one. They, in fact, tell a lie. they put me in a studio once. Universal put me in once. And it was so expensive, man. Like, mad.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why there's loads of studios now opening up, like Pirate and stuff, that are so much cheaper. And they're so good. Such, I think it's so good. Yeah. It just, like, democratises the process. So when you were working that time, like when you were working on Lockjaw, as you say, and you really, like, got comfortable with your sounds and in a good space, were you working with the same producers throughout that process to, like, establish that sound?
0: It was. I was working with one guy specifically, this guy called Tom. I call him Steph. He's Staff Music, like. But uh, it's you know
1: off in your house.
0: I was working with Steph. <laughs> a lot. Uh, I actually worked with him the most, or during that period of time. So there was like a. I feel like we we supported each other really. Like we developed each other. He was kind of starting out in terms of production. I was definitely at a point when. I just needed one person to be with, because that's what that's what I feel like. All the best rappers have like a really strong relationship with a producer. Mm. Sometimes you yeah, get people that can just like jump on beats, but I feel like that's after they have found a kind of sound through working with one person. And I think I I started that, but then didn't finish it with Fred. But then I started working with Staff, and I really had the time to like dig in I was. I stopped going to like four different sessions a week I just I was just seeing him really and like kind of working out what, what things wanted to sound like it's
1: uh, really sweet because it's like all the language is like we were just seeing each other <laughs> so many times that's a week That is my. See,
0: that's my, my <laughs> <laughs> there's a really like emotional relationship because well, as you as you would imagine mm. this music is creating stuff so like some of the times like yeah thinking back it is kind of magic What you end up experiencing with the person that you make that music with, lots of the time it's just you and them. So like when you're getting excited, you're excited together, and then you go away like it's sick. I I love. I'm so grateful, and I'm so. uh, I just have a lot of love for the people that I've ever worked with. There are a few. There's there's another producer Uh called Quez Darko who, uh, who again, sick went on. He produced for Slow Tie. That uh, again, I was just really lucky to. To work with and he actually is someone who always had that little element that I was missing and and it took it took a lot I guess I'm complex but like it took a lot of different people and moments for me to kind of crystallize what it was and then it went from locked jaw where the sound was right to then having a really if I'm honest bad experience with the label that I was with where like definitely don't need to get into it but like I was Deeply, deeply unhappy to the point where like, I just, I couldn't really make music. I was crippled. Mm. I, I was angry. Just, yeah, it was bad. Like consistently all the time as well. And uh, I just quite, I'm struggling quite a lot. And then I, I found my way out basically. <laughs> and um, And when I found my way out, Jake was there. Yeah, he was there and I was just, and he obviously had, had, during this period of time, had his own experiences in the industry. So like, and we'd met each other before we, either of us had gone in. So like, it was then nice to come out, to kind of be out the other side and be like, yo. And then, uh, and then yeah, literally the energy that I had then, I was feeling uh, reinvigorated. And, and we wrote Nobody's Son, which is the tune which kind of just made everything run. Like it for me, that was my that was what I wanted out of twenty to three. Really, like that's what that's what it should have been. But you don't get to choose that. Nobody's son was was my like okay cool, and that was March last year. Mm-hmm. And then pretty much from then, like it's just been nonstop. Every for me personally, like I've been growing as an artist lyrically, musically. The energy and momentum has been building since then. And I feel like that was it. Was like it was like a reset, basically. And I put out the EP that yeah, that is my favorite EP, which is Average Joe. I put that out at the end of last year, and that there was a lot in it that I'd never managed to say before. Like yeah. certain days being stripped back, and I was just like, okay, wow, like cool. There's there is there is something to say. There is there is a reason to
1: be doing this. Mm.
0: Yeah,
1: that's lovely. Thanks for sharing that with me, <laughs> with yeah. all of us. When you were, you might not want to talk about it too much, so obviously don't, if you don't want to. When you were in that situation where you were trying to leave the label, do you think it was mutual that, like, you weren't happy? Do you think they were also like, nah, this isn't working?
0: Yeah, if if it wasn't mutual, I wouldn't have been able to get out like a (laughs) did Because that's how labels work. They'll keep you even if you hate them, if they feel like... It's
1: weird. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But, like, it wasn't easy. It was still definitely the case that, like, I had to kind of really, really confirm that that's what I wanted. There was no way around it. I just needed to be out of that situation. Uh, I knew that as like, as a fact, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the easiest to, uh, it wasn't the easiest to do, but yeah. But do you know what? I, I, I have no bad blood. I uh, and There's no, um, I don't resent anyone, especially no one individually. I feel that about life in general, to be honest. Like people are usually just, even individuals are usually just caught in either situations or experiences that's how that's how people grow and build no one was a bastard <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know I was saying that to someone the other day and they were like no I think some people are still cunts <laughs> I was
0: like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. maybe no, some I, no, I don't dis- I don't disagree I'm just saying in that specific situation that no one was but also like generally like those people that are because some people are just cunts right but uh when those <laughs> when those people are it's really fun. Oh, do you know? I'll give you a great example. So, yesterday I went to the seaside with my mum, which was like, it was really nice. It was so, like, it was just a really nice day. Have and this, like,
1: like Pebble Beach? or would
0: it was Broadstairs. I haven't ever been. Yeah, neither, neither have I. But it's
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, like, everyone goes. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, like, it was mad because I went and Firstly, someone recognised me, which was wild because it was Broadstairs. Like, and he was like, oh, like I saw your colours. I was like, yeah, and I was to take a photo. Um, and then I saw, you know, Chicken Shop date, you know, Amelia.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah but I, I saw her, but she went to my college. I was like, what the fuck are you doing here? He <laughs> was like, came down for the day. I was like, "What well, you are you doing?" <laughs> like,
1: yeah.
0: like, Broadstairs is just, just lit around me. Where's that? Yeah. So yeah. um, it's, uh, it's bubbling. But, sorry. Tangent. i was there and um bumped into this guy i didn't bump into him he fucking cornered us me and my mom and was just just ruthlessly insistent on having this conversation with us that we clearly didn't want to have okay. And like he was it was annoying and uh, and i could see my mom was getting annoyed i kind of uh, I, I was annoyed but not that annoyed but it was it he wasn't letting us go and then we tried to like move and get away and he was just doing this weird back and forth and then we were like, okay, we're going to go that way. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's just sexist. Said something about his wife and how he lost her last year. And it's so funny how just all of a sudden, like someone can say one sentence and it just reframes everything that was annoying about what they were doing. Or every, not that you didn't understand, like it wasn't the end of the world, but like it just can just suddenly be like, oh, okay, you're annoying, but, you, but you're lonely. And like, you lost your wife last year. You've probably just gone through a... a Crazy four months of having no one around in isolation in lockdown. So yeah, it's kind of inconsiderate that you are cornering us to have a conversation. But maybe you could be forgiven. But yeah, but I feel that that's the case with a lot of people that can't surround. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think just dickheads, and, and I, I and that's, I, I've known that from a very young age.
1: Some people just are, but no, you're right. A lot of the time, if it's like an interaction that you have. Yeah, you shouldn't presume because you don't know what their day's been like. Yeah. I do believe that if people are causing you grief, it's often because they are grieving or they're dealing with pain themselves in some way.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, so in your interview with Clash, one of the things you said was the the best thing I can tell you about music is don't overcomplicate it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Is that like a nice kind of like recent reflection or learning like, do you think you used to stress out about music
0: more? Yeah, well, worst. Way, way. Because it's, it's just in my nature to overanalyze stuff anyway. So combine that with, I think, a lot of other stuff that was going on and the way that I was making music. Because, as I said, like, I never stressed about music at all. It was always second nature to me. I'd always just made it, and it always just seemed to be fine. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it changed in an instant. It changed as soon as that, I don't know what point you say, but as soon as Noisy posted that thing, music became something different to me. And I think probably the easiest way for me to describe that, or sorry, the easiest way for me to um, explain from where I, am, where I was then to now is that I think that this process has just been me trying to find my way back to what music was to me initially. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to find your way out of something once you're in it. So I think pretty much it was I did and I didn't know and I, I had no idea what was going on. So like from when that noisy thing happened to I would say nobody's son, where it was like just catharsis and just like a release. It was just like fuck this. Like I've just uh, this is what I've been doing my whole life. I don't understand why I've been thinking about it so much.
1: Mm.
0: And it just re and it just it reset me. It was a click. But that whole period of time uh, was was me trying to find that again. It was horrible. I've, I hated it. I hate. I hated the feeling of something that was so simple to me being so complicated and convoluted and stressful. Really, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really made really, me really unhappy making music for a long time.
1: Yeah, that is not not the way it should be. No. Okay, so is it? Are you back in a space now where like music is the thing you do for fun? If you know yeah. what I mean. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. else do uh, you do for fun? Uh. <laughs> That's like a question that um, I don't even know why who phrases stuff like that.
0: Yeah. I don't know. And and who could legitimately answer it oh, on a public podcast? I'm like uh Yeah.
1: Yeah. Watch football and just hang out with your mates.
0: Watching Netflix. Do you actually watch I- Netflix? Uh, no, I'm being sarcastic. I uh, I, um, I do watch Netflix, but that's not what I do for fun. <laughs> I do that to fill in the gaps in between what right. I do for make music. <laughs> oh, I do love films, though. Films are uh, my... F- controversial, but I, I may love films. No, nah, not more. It doesn't have to be a competition. I do really love films, though. And it's been, it's been like my love... For as long as music has been. I just love the escapism and everything about it. Like I I don't ever feel happier than when a film is about to start that I've really wanted to watch.
1: Really? Never.
0: Yeah, that's my happiest moment.
1: My like the thing that really stresses me out about films, I can never pick one. Yeah. I have to be like given the film or like told what we're gonna see or like what the thing is. Otherwise I'll spend half an hour looking at trailers and then I'll be like, that's oh, bedtime. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I feel like I hear this a lot from people. It is difficult, though, especially now because there's so many options. Right. Like, like they, um, yeah, it, it doesn't feel like they've made it any easier. I was do you know what was one of the my uh, demons is that I was just so indecisive, so indecisive. So I just found it really hard when I was complicating music to, like, land on a decision, especially because I felt like I could do different things. Do you know what I mean?
1: yeah. In that situation, did you have people... Do you tend to trust other people's opinions? Uh, I, don't, I don't think I do. I think I like have to know for myself, but...
0: Yeah, well, I think what was uh, probably, again, some kind of, like, level of cognitive dissonance was that I don't trust anyone, but I'm very willing to open... Sorry, I'm very open to hearing what other people have to say.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I trust more people now. Like, but it takes a while. I've, like just experiences in life have kind of made me feel like I don't want to do that so it takes a lot for me to trust someone but if I do then like I really do yeah I feel like that was that was tricky for me because I was really open to being like oh well you think this and you think that and all right but at the same time I didn't really have faith in their direction or, or ideas mm-hmm. so what was I ended up in like a middle ground a lot of the time where I I was listening to people, but, like, not agreeing or, like, doing it because I wasn't 100% sure about what I wanted to do. Right. But really trusting what they wanted to do.
1: Yeah. So wasn't that, wasn't that helpful?
0: <laughs> no, not at all. It wasn't helpful. But we live and we learn. <laughs> we do. Do you know what? Like, and that's the only thing you can do, isn't it? Like, you have to, uh, we move.
1: Yeah.
0: That's, that's the only thing I can say.
1: Absolutely. It's Absolutely. It's just all part of evolution, isn't it? It's like your evolution as an artist and a person yeah yeah 100.
0: definitely in terms of like my mum as well just to touch me I evolved a lot during that period of time in terms of my relationship with my mum which has been really really nice and like great but like I feel like that was the final thing of me being like an only child and her being an only child and that's coming from like being very individual but like needing to find our own lanes to be able to be together and, and be yeah that also is yeah. happening but tumultuous time <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah it's nice when you come out of those periods of time though and you know good things come from it you like know why you needed to go through it
0: it's the best it's... I, would, like, I wouldn't would I wouldn't trade it no nah. I wouldn't trade it Easy life boring huh?
1: yeah I hear you I hear you Okay so uh, this is on my mind because I watched this Netflix documentary have you seen the social the social commentary or the social di- social dilemma No Okay it's called the social dilemma and it's basically a documentary about social media and how like they're sort of like manipulating us kind of like the Cambridge Analytica Trump scandal but it yeah. just goes deep into it because in PTP you had that little clip I was just going to ask about your relationship with like the internet and social media—force for good or pain in the ass? Like, what do you think?
0: Ooh, ooh, ooh! (laughs) Um, It's a complex one. Do you know what? This might not answer your question, but this is how I feel about everything at the moment. Because if I, the reason I'm answering it like this is because I literally couldn't—I couldn't condense how I feel about social media without spilling over into so many other elements of the world at the moment that it wouldn't do it justice. So I'm just not going to like touch it as a thing specifically. But what I will say is that it feels like at the moment, lots of things in the world are a reflection of human nature, more so than the thing itself. And that goes from government to social media, to race, politics, gender, uh, All of those things, to me, speak more about the internal battle that we are having because what it means to be human now is so different to what we are capable and uh, have been conditioned to deal with, that those things are almost symptomatic of what we're going through as opposed to social media being like a force for good or a force for evil. Like Social media is whatever we're going to be. So until we work out what we're going to be, it doesn't. It's, it's kind of irrelevant what social media is, and the same same to go. Same goes with politics, and yeah, and and everything else that you that I feel like are global issues at the moment. That's a, that's that's how I feel.
1: I agree, actually, but then maybe like hum- humans, we need reining in a bit. Oh, definitely.
0: <laughs> I mean, I think we've crossed the thresholds of of where we're at. In terms of like humanity and where, where we're going to end up, because there are too many factors now that, that are out of our control, that we actually, it's kind of like being on a chessboard and, and with a grandmaster and the pieces are already set. I'm not saying anyone's controlling it, I'm just saying that we are, we're already, way, we're like six moves ahead of th- something that is inevitable, I yeah. feel. Personally.
1: Okay, quick questions. Yeah. Well, I say quick. I'm not very good at quick questions. Best, <laughs> best piece of career advice you've received?
0: Oh, it
1: has to come from you. A lyric that's meant a lot to you. You
0: know what? This is just because this is the most recent lyric that I like. It's to not- the new stuff. <laughs> Not even that meaningful, but it's just sick. And it just reminds me of like what I would have loved to have had as a bar when I was younger again, like this is like going back to it. But the prize is in the forward move of Rashlight Marcus, pitch black with a kickback, get clotted. So it's, all right, let me how I break it down. So it's only two lines, but there's so much in it. So Marcus Rashford is a football player. Yeah, and him. Yeah, like usually, so that's the one, that's the one thing. On the other side, there's like what people do when they go on out basically on shootings and stuff and like a common car like fours ford's are like a common car so uh, like it's at night time and like Clyde being shoot, shooting uh guns have kickbacks on them but like if you break it down it's uh in the ford moving rash like marcus pitch black with the kickback get Clyde. i just i love it it's just <laughs> that's my favorite lyric in the moment nice yeah. I
1: was going to ask, when are you the happiest? But you did already say just before a film starts.
0: Yeah. Or when I'm about to get on stage.
1: Those 2021.
0: Two. <laughs> yeah, I know, man.
1: Before you get on stage rather than after.
0: Afterwards, I'm sad that it's over. I want to go again.
1: And finally, I was, no, OK, two more things. One, what do you look for in people close to you? Like what qualities do you really cherish?
0: I uh, Like, the people that I know are quite different. So, like, this is, sounds really vague, but just energy. Like, I'm so... I From a really young age, because I am an only child, like, all the people that I've had around me are just, like, family. Like, people that I choose to be around me are, yeah, fam. So, I, I read off energy. I'm really good at working out people that I want around me and people that I don't. So, yeah, there's nothing specifically. I know some terrible people that I love. So, like... <laughs> Yeah, but they have good energy and, like, they have good hearts. So that's uh, that's what I like. Good hearts. That's 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 what I look for.
1: Okay. And is there one song that you listen to? I haven't really asked too much about your musical influences. I'm just going to ask this. <laughs> what song? Is there one song that you listen to or, like, one artist that you listen to that people just wouldn't expect at all?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like Simon and Garfunkel. I, I'm i glad that you didn't ask me any of that. I find that stuff so, so boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a... Uh, Everybody like everybody's musical influences are kind of like I don't know, especially if you're from London. You just listen to stuff. I think it's most people. Grow up.
1: Yeah, there are certain people who everyone says Simon Garfunkel is new. There you go. And finally, yeah. what's next? Like, what's what's on the horizon? Obviously, weird time.
0: There's loads. I'm really excited to be honest. I'm just. I'm actually thinking like, what can I say? and What can't I say? There's yeah. there's a, So just keep your eyes out go and follow, go listen to the the track I got out at the moment called Hello. There's still more stuff around that coming and there's some other things I can't say.
1: (laughs) Good stuff's coming.
0: But good stuff is coming.
1: What are your favourite, like what are your favourite handles to share stuff? Are you sharing on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all of the above? I'm active. He's active. Jelani Blackman. Jelani, thanks so much for giving us your time and sharing. Your musical journey.
0: It was good. It was fun. It was fun. Uh, I
1: enjoyed it. Um, thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Bye.
0: What up,